I'm hitting the recording button, so we are now, we are now officially recording. Uh, oh, great! Now we which... can come up with things that are are cold open. Sure. <laughs> this, Hour, is, this is the time. If... This is the time for cold opens. Right, as if I now have is... <laughs> anything to do with BXP. Hour cold open. <laughs> Hour cold open. Uh, you know, you've got a an official unofficial status as. Oh yes, I'm officially ray... unofficial. <laughs> Synthetic ray replacement. Oh yes. Uh, I don't. I don't know which Margaret is editing this. Mm. Uh, as this is this is all going to be off season content. As we are, mm-hmm. we are off until February. Well, are we going to do a couple of these? We can. If I mean, want I'm to. down to do a couple of these if if you want. I, they were uh, also. Fun. This was this was by popular patron request. Uh, the, having the you dive. back on, yes, having oh, you back I... on to talk to me for like an hour was uh, the number one thing. I was like, what kind of, if we were to do a, a smattering of off-season stuff, and I had a whole list of things that we could possibly do, and like, do stuff together on the Discord, and deep dives were the two winners, so. Wow. So yep. you're doing a Malifaux tournament, and we're doing Ma- yep. deep dives. <laughs> yeah, we <laughs> also right. did, um, we also did, uh, This Discord Has Ghosts. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. I miss those because they happen my raid nights. But, you know, the fact that your listeners like me warms the cockles of my heart. You could use a little little boost. I could, a little boost. I could take a little boost. And, and so, therefore, I am going to... They love me. <laughs> they like me. They really like me. Really like me. <laughs> off-season bonus experience i almost said off-brand it's not off-brand we're on brand (laughs) i'm (laughs) off-brand i'm off-brand ray (laughs) this is a podcast with a deeper look at the play experience and the finer details of running and writing games i wrote that (laughs) i've been saying it like monthly for five years and right now i was like what the fuck is my opener I mean, you have slept since the last time you spoke I, it. It's fair. That's fair. I have slept since then. We are two queer people speaking with authority about games, and we swear, die mad about it. Yes, die mad. Since this is off-brand, off-season bonus experience, I'm Monica, as usual. I'm Danielle. Here in... <laughs> D. Yeah. Here, in, here in the imaginary studio yeah. with D. Yep. We're industry professionals. We sure are. Industry unprofessionals. Uh, that too. I mean, what really is an industry professional? <laughs> That's a different deep dive. <laughs> That's a different deep dive. That's a different deep dive. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I I have a a, a spiel. I would almost said rant, but it's not really a rant. That would imply I'm like pissed off about it or a white man about how like professional means something. Oh, yes. As opposed to, like, a semi-pro or, like, a hobbyist who does things yeah, for money. Yeah. And, like, that involves standards and shit. Ooh, and ooh. I wildly disagree with the whole, like, oh, if you do something for money, you're ooh. a professional. Because, no, you're fucking not. And I learned this because I did art for, um, like, publication. Like volu- I volunteered some, some time for a, for a Blaze Ball zine um, for charity, which involved 
producing art to a professional standard. Yeah. And I like didn't, I don't know shit about producing art for print, uh, which, you know, like people taught me how that was very sweet of them. Um, but like going into it, I had no yeah. idea. And like, I have done art for money, but I'm not a professional. Yeah. I mean, I've done some things. I, I, um, I did, oh, what do they call it? They call it something weird. Craft services for a movie set. Mm. <clears throat> I have been paid money, cash monies, to provide craft services for a, a student film. Uh -huh. And I am not a professional at that. Yeah. What what does craft services involve? Craft services, the catering. That's just what they call oh, it. Oh, oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Got it. Uh, well, like that could I I that's what I thought first. I was like, oh, is that food? And then I was like, oh, well, I guess that could be like props or supplying materials for set building sure. or something like that. Yeah, I it, it's but craft it's services. Yes, and I uh, I've done that for a film. I'm credited in a film somewhere, but I'm not a professional. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's not what that is. <laughs> Should we should we also start calling you Chef Chef, Chef D, Chef Chef, Chef D? D? <laughs> it's MJ. MJ was the reason that I was called Chef for forever. Oh yeah, I had the Chef hat. I had the Chef hat for that that stream. You did. It was so good. <laughs> What's our deep dive about today? Today we are deep diving on core gameplay loops and then setting and mechanics and how they inform each other and so like that sort of milieu of all those things because they're all related oh uh, they are i love talking about this because it's not it's not every day that people think hard about what they're doing in right. a game I, I would hazard that most people don't yeah think about that at well all. and and a seamless game won't make you think about what you're doing in the game you'll just play it and then you'll get it done. Ideally. Yes, ideally. That's what people say when they say the rules get out of the way, yeah. which I hate. I hate that phrase. Whoever's <laughs> come up before in a BXP episode of how much I fucking hate that phrase. Because that just means this game is well designed. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I, I think the better way of phrasing that is that the rules uh, seamlessly support the gameplay loop. That's what they're doing. They're not getting out of the way. They're... Uh, they're seamlessly supporting. So let's talk about what the fuck we mean when we say gameplay loop. How would you define that? Oh, yeah. Let's talk about that. Uh, so the gameplay loop, in my opinion, is uh, the, the core experience of the game from point A all the way to point Z and then back again to point A. So an, an example of a core gameplay loop is, you know, we'll use our, our favorite game to dish on D&D. Uh, &D. <laughs> Uh, the the core gameplay loop is you're you're given a task an adventure of some sort go go into the dungeon go kill a dragon uh, go save a halfling from an evil lich whatever right mm -hmm. and so you're given this thing you go you beat some guys up you earn some experience maybe some gold and you earn a level and then you do it all over again the core gameplay loop is go on an adventure, earn some experience, buy things to make adventuring easier, get more powerful to the pursuit of adventuring, go do more adventures. That's it. That's the loop. D&D sort of has a pretty clear gameplay loop um, that I also feel like people want to stick more things on. 
but that's another <laughs> that's another fucking topic. Let's talk about something else we're we're familiar with. What about something like vampire? And by we, I mean you. <laughs> sure. Uh, you know the the core core gameplay loop in vampire is actually uh, relatively similar mm-hmm. in that you. Uh, well, okay, so first of all, Vampire has a couple of different core gameplay loops that you can engage on. It doesn't have any single one gameplay loop, which is maybe a detriment to Vampire um, and why some people's experience with the Vampire games can be vastly different from each other. One of the core gameplay loops is very similar to D&D where you, there is something, there is trouble, there is a mystery, there is a something, and then you use your Vampire superpowers to solve that problem you earn experience, you buy more vampire superpowers, and you go and solve problems. That is that is a core gameplay loop for vampire, and I would argue the most important one. Okay. There is another side gameplay loop that you can engage in that is um, talk to people and engage in a kind of a political the city has politics right um, and you can make uh, there are some mechanics and some ability to support uh, talking politics but the mechanics that support the talking politics part of the it, it is not a full loop you don't get experience right. for just talking politics in this game unfortunately um, and so therefore it's not a full loop like other other aspects but it desperately wants it to be a loop um, and one of that <laughs> Uh, one of and that is the social loop in is where your um, your humanity slash hunger slash I am a beast in a human's clothing part of the game comes from. So so we would just call it sort of the basic functions that like a game wants to support and wants you to play through. And the things it rewards you for doing versus the thing it mm-hmm. either penalizes you or punishes you or doesn't support you in doing at all. So you know. I could point to a lot of games and say this game isn't about this because there's no mechanical support for it. Right. Even if I can't point to a game and say this game is definitely about this because I'm not sure exactly what this game is about, but I know what it's not about. And I think the smaller and more focused your game is, the easier it is to understand your loop. Yeah. Bluebeard's Bride, which is extremely focused, is yeah. only ever about one thing. Yes. I, I would also say like uh, Ten Candles, uh, yes. also an extremely focused game. Even though that game can play out different every single time you play it, it's only ever about one thing. I was trying to think of something that's not specifically a horror game. That's hard because I think horror games are games that really want, are really good at, at finding that narrow focus. Yes, it's true. Um, I think it's easy, and I don't mean that in a derogatory way just like it's not hard to find a horror game's core loop mm-hmm. um, because that helps you get to the point of the thing that's scary, right? Yes. Like, yeah, like I uh, I really want to play Sleepaway because I oh, really yeah. enjoy horror story games. Yeah. yeah. Which also has the same very, just from reading the preview, has a very clear horror simple gameplay loop where like you're doing this one very specific thing to tell this very scary story right which i think is great because the more like the more i can tell what am i supposed to be doing in this game what am i going to get rewarded for doing in this game and you know what is what's the loop what's the feedback loop right when i do this thing i get this thing and that allows me to do more of this thing 
What is it? And being able to pinpoint that in a game is really great. It might be why I like horror games so much because it is so much easier <laughs> for horror games to, to in fact, I, I would argue that a, a well-done horror game must have their loop in mind of what you're going to do. Otherwise, it gets kind of outside of the realm of horror and into the realm yeah. of maybe just, you know, urban fantasy. Sure. Or action. Or action. Yeah. Consider how much vampire will pick on vampire. Yeah, I love to sure. pick on vampire almost about as much as I love to pick on DD. Um, <laughs> and exalted. Well, sure. we, we're not touching that one for a minute. Yeah. That's always a bad example. It's, it's, just, <laughs> it's always a bad it's example. It's a bad example. <laughs> <laughs> it's always a bad example. Um, anyway, uh, so like, it's my, I ha I don't have a ton of experience, but from, from being around a lot of other people who love Vampire, uh, it is a game that is ostensibly supposed to be kind of spooky, um, but really turns into a game about uh, blood drinking superheroes or a crime drama yeah. very quickly, right? Very like, quickly. Absolutely. Yeah. It is, it is that thing. Yeah. And and it is more, I would call the Vampire Games, Masquerade, Requiem, yep. while there are horror elements, um, mm -hmm. those horror elements are more oppressive horror in the sense that like the atmosphere is horrific and less mm -hmm. about being actually afraid. Right. You're right. never going to be like, oh, man, I played this game of Vampire the Masquerade and I was literally like shitting my pants afraid during the game. Like that's not the kind of horror that we're talking about. And yeah, it is instead, you know, m maybe you might be unsettled during the game because of something somebody does or says and maybe or something you are forced to do um, or you know, maybe you will be moved to emotion because of a personal loss or something like that. But really, right. in its bones and play loop and everything, I would I would throw those into the like the like a darker urban fantasy. I wouldn't yeah. call them I wouldn't call them light in any way, shape, or form. They're definitely dark. <laughs> no. Yeah. And they definitely have strong horror elements, right? You know, you may run into body horror. You may run into personal horror. You may run into gothic horror. But it's not the scary kind of horror that you think of with, like, Ten Candles or even... Bluebeard's Bride or Sleep Away or... Right, right. Just Discord it's... has ghosts in it. Or... Right. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I'm not... I'm not... Yeah, I'm not... There's no jump scares. There's no, you know, creeping tension and dread. There's simply sometimes bad things happen oh, man i i i really want <laughs> this this reminded me of the very stupid argument you can go listen to in a systematic understanding the last systematic understanding of everything episode where uh someone asked us the incredibly stupid like oh exalts in the world of darkness would, would you rather be a an exalt in the world of darkness or a world of darkness character in creation uh, and then Terry and I got in a very dumb, my guy is cooler than your guy argument, but it was funny. So, you know, oh, no. uh, but then, but Terry was judging exalts by mage standards. And I was like, exalts are not mages, Terry. Terry. And this was after the fact. I wish I had thought of this on air. Uh, exalts are vampires. Yeah. <laughs> and if you're going to compare them in the world of darkness, they are vampires, not mages. And I really want to talk about how exalted and vampire are cousins. 
in an embarrassing way. Oh, yeah. And we also in like a gameplay loop way. Yeah. I Let's... think that would be really fun because I think it actually demonstrates the things we want to talk about pretty well. I think so. Um, you know, um, let's let's talk about some mechanical backbone of that so that people can understand what sure. we're talking about. Because clearly, yeah. when you read Exalted, you are not thinking, ah, these are blood-sucking creatures. <laughs> and when you, yeah, they're... When, when you read, you know, Vampire the Masquerade, you're not thinking, ah, oh, these are anime characters. Like, this is not, <laughs> this is not what this it's is not, working no. at all. So, but the mechanics behind it are, are very similar. You're right. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, and I mean, like, a ton of, and literally, um, the stuff that eventually became exalted and got lifted from it was all from Cringe Fest Extraordinaire, Kindred of the East. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, like the Ebon Dragon, the Scarlet Empress, uh, um, I think Akuma, I, um, uh, something, like, they, they, there were a whole bunch of vampire techniques that literally became charm names, like, I think Dipping Swallow Defense is from there, Flow Like Blood is from there. Um, Heavenly Guardian defense is from there. Just like, there's yeah. so many things that just became charm names that were from Kindred of the East that came over to Exalted. And not, we're not, it's not just that, but that's kind of where it begins. Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, you know, if you look back at first edition Exalted, it was, you know, supposed to be pre uh, creation was pre Earth. It led right into the world of darkness. Uh, like, before the Age of Darkness, there was a savage age of adventure. Yes. 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 Do did I just reach over and pick up the Exalted First Edition core book right Maybe. then? I Maybe. Sure, I sure did. <laughs> yeah. So so yeah, when we say that these things are cousins, we're not just, you know Monica's not just throwing that out there because that's her brainchild. Like it literally No, it's really not. They're they're so heavily related. And I mean their mechanics are heavily related too. They use the same system and the and the system supports this kind of very high power, very um, go out and melodramatic. Yeah, mel- <laughs> Yes, I mean, like I'm trying to think of the right words. Like high powered sure. melodrama, and go yep. out solve problems, get experience for doing that. Do it some more. Yes, get more yeah. powers get in, for it, that. Both of them have a very similar loop, I think. Of so you have this character. Uh, they are functionally immortal. Yes. Like, Exalt fans don't at me. I know Exalts aren't technically immortal, but, like, in their game world, they are functionally immortal, right? So we have Just like vampires are are functionally immortal. Yes, Truly immortal, right. Right, just so that you could, yes. Vampires vampires theoretically live forever. Like, a vampire just doesn't die of old age. Exalts can die of old age. It just takes them a really long time. Right, and, Uh, but they can both die. Right, but they can both die. uh, And they're both supremely tough. Yep. Uh, they are way tougher than normal people. Yep. Uh, like Terry's argument was like, I use gun on the exalt. And I was like, that doesn't matter. It doesn't do anything. It Th- doesn't do it. It's, it's, that's like shooting a vampire. It's literally like shooting a vampire. Yeah. Right. Like they're, so you have this at the baseline, these characters who will live a long time. So they have, they can have goals on really long term scale. Yes. Uh, they, they possess power that is significantly stronger than normal people. Yes. Um, which lets them do dumb shit that normal people can't do. Yes. Uh, <laughs> you have, uh, you know, because you have these big, powerful personalities, uh, you get these big melodramatic conflicts. Right. They both also have to hide their nature from everyone because they are hunted. Right. It's a different kind of bad for sure. a vampire to be like, I am a vampire. Than it is for an exalt to go to get all like <laughs> Batman. I am Batman. I am a vampire. I am a vampire. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
and like you have these these internal factions these cliques and like you and your buddies may all be different members of them uh, yes. trying to navigate a world that does in fact include other types of you that are more powerful than you and are full of shit yes uh who you may also have to navigate around right yes. like uh, and you. so you have this who hate who hate you or don't hate you Sure. I mean, is there a tendency for vampire elders to hate you more? Because at least third edition Exalted has leaned more towards like elder exalts are just kind of they're as much a mentor as a problem. Like, no, you your elders may just eat you though. Like especially your old your old old like Methuselah vampires. Right. They're true. they're they're scary as fuck, and you should run away from them if they come out. Which they rarely do <laughs> yeah. because they're old and, and creepy and, and hide away. Yeah. So, but like, so, okay, the framing is slightly different because, like, theoretically, an Elder Exalt isn't just a crazy person who's just going to kill you if you come and ask for help uh, I mean, or whatever. Are, but it is, is a Methuselah. But, but there's, <laughs> fair enough. But there's still sort of that, like, you are playing with fire by coming out to, to talk to this person, right? Like, sure. Or getting them to stop doing whatever weird, schemey, long-term thing they were in the middle of doing. Right, yeah, you uh, risk life and, and they, limb if you try to stop one of these things. Right. <laughs> and ostensibly, one of these games is a game of personal horror and whatever, and the other game is ostensibly kind of about power and consequences. Right. Uh, but which game am I talking about? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> right? Isn't there a little bit of, like, power and consequences in Vampire 2? Yes, yes, there is. And, like, a little bit of personal horror in Exalted. Uh, in fact, yes. very recently, I was like, "Oh, yeah, you know, exalts don't bleed out." And someone was like, "What?" And I was like, "No, they they just they just don't. Like, that's just a that's just part of the package deal." Anyway, so like, you have a little bit of power and consequences on the vampire side, and you have a little bit of personal horror on the exalt side because like, you are functionally like unstoppable in a world where the majority of people are normal people who, when they get stabbed, they die. Anyway, so I think that. This discussion probably segues sort of nicely into the idea of, like, how do you create these gameplay loops? And, like, how does this loop inform the game setting and then, furthermore, its mechanics? Because uh, right. I think we, we kind of have talked about a great example of how that works. Right. Um, using this interesting comparison between these two related games that don't seem related at all on their surface. Right, right. Uh, though I, I will say that like V5 and third edition, Exalted 3rd Edition or Essence are pretty fucking different at this point. Yes, very much uh, so. And yeah, but they did start off being much closer mechanically yeah. related than they are now. <laughs> yeah, and you know, when I think about mechanics reinforcing setting that's something you know that this kind of segues into because the mechanics tell you what you should be doing in the game but the setting kind of tells you where you're doing it and and informs you know the choices you're going to be making and 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 literally everything else about the game but you need these two things to you know people like to separate oh the fluff and the crunch right like oh yes but but this isn't like fluff is over there it's a pillow and crunch is over there it's a potato chip the the fluff and the crunch is a snickers bar like right it's it's the whole package you can't right just eat the the caramel and the nougat and say i had a snickers and you can't just eat the the peanuts out of it and say i had a snickers like <laughs> eat the right. whole thing together um 
to get the game. And so I, I will use those terms, fluff and crunch, whatever, but they're integral to one another. And not just because I think, oh, well, you know, I want to be able to describe setting-wise what you can do using the mechanics, but I want the mechanics to do that thing that you do, that you said, right? I want it to seamlessly support what you're supposed to be doing in the game. So if your game is about, oh, I don't know, running a heist in which you are going about and doing a crime, then I mm -hmm. want the mechanics to support all of the things that you would do during a heist. Yes. And I want them to do so in a way that you don't, you don't feel like, ah, now I have to stop what I'm doing to do a mechanic. Yes. Right. So, you know, some games that we may pick on do their game core play, like core gameplay loop and their, their, their mechanics to support their fiction very well. Um, mm -hmm. If you're doing what the game is about. So, you know, I like to pick on D&D, &D, but D&D &D does its job of if going out and adventuring, I want to do this, all right, roll and see if you hit, and then you do, and then you, you know, you go through the fight mechanics, and then you, you're like, the, the ah, yes, we have completed a, a difficult fight, and there's all these mechanics to support getting into that fight, initiative, saving throws, combat spells, combat abilities, doing things in combat, having extra attacks, uh, you know, bonuses towards that thing. All of that supports what, it may be not seamless, but what turns into the bulk of the time you're playing the game, you're in this, you know, you might be in a combat and, and here's where the mechanics really shine and they do a good job of it. And at the end, you feel accomplished. You feel great. You've used your character sheet in a way that hit those endorphin buttons. The, right, yeah. The serotonin is now flowing, and I feel great about what just happened, and I have built an amazing experience utilizing the game mechanics, and I've got experience, and the experience gave me a level, and now I'm more powerful, and now I can do it even better, and I'm so excited. I can't wait until our next combat because I have a new combat ability that I want to try out. Right. You have this new thing and that allows you to do the loop again, but better or differently or at a more challenging level. Right. And like, there's a whole lot of that that you just described that can go wrong, but that's yes. a, a lot of things. Well, yeah, I mean, a lot of I mean, I mean a wrong. lot of games. I'm not. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not I'm not saying that D&D &D is the only game where you the core gameplay loop can go wrong, though. I do think that's sort of really more a problem of like maximalist games. Yes. Like D&D, &D, like Exalted, like Vampire, like Shadowrun, like. Pathfinder. Yeah. Yeah, any of those games if you if you fail to 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 succeed on a roll, you do literally nothing and that feels mm -hmm. bad because sure the, the core game assumption is that you're doing a thing. And when you fail right. to do a thing, you do nothing is feel bad, man. Feels bad. <laughs> Does feel bad. So, springboarding off of that, let's noodle a little bit on <laughs> the inherent player desire uh, to make a game do what its gameplay loop doesn't say. Yeah. Because everybody fucking does this. And I'm not just talking about, like, we, we pick on people who like 5th edition maybe a little bit too much, and I think that's unfair. Uh, because, like, wanting to bolt something onto a game 
because you like that game, but its core loop does not include something that you want to use it for. So you bolt on a new loop from somewhere else is something that literally everyone who plays any tabletop game does at some point. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've definitely, you know, I've definitely seen Exalted fans do that. I've seen. Mm -hmm. um, (laughs) I've been the Exalted fan who did that. Like, yeah, I've seen vampire fans doing it. I've seen, you know, I've seen a lot of fans of a lot of games. This is the game system I know. Right. And so this is the game system I'm going to use when I go to start creating my own content. And I think that's really what's happening. I think the desire isn't to just bolt something onto a system that it's not designed for, for shits and giggles, because... No, it's really not. I think that desire comes from, I have big ideas. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'm not in a place yet to come up with my own mechanics that support my ideas or maybe I can but only for the specific mechanic or thought that I have but not like the whole thing right thinking about how the whole thing works together is very daunting it's hard (laughs) and coming up with something that's brand new nobody's ever done before is practically impossible it's impossible don't like there is no such thing as something no one has ever done before there is only your unique spin on the thing you want to do Right. And so you you end up in this kind of situation where I think people, this is what I'm familiar with. This is what I know. This is what I want to do. And so, you know, now we're going to do, oh, did I talk to you about the Regency romance uh, forged in the dark game? No. Wait, maybe you did. I think I talked about it a little bit. Um, I, I think there's one that exists that I saw a Kickstarter for and I cannot for the life of me think of the name of it. And so if it's out there and somebody knows, um, you know, maybe hit me with it at some point. But I know what you're talking about and I cannot remember. I can't. I just I remember that there was a Regency romance uh, forged in the dark game. And I thought, huh? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I, I remember you sharing this. Or someone sharing that with you in one of our group chats or shared spaces or whatever. Yeah. And we were all collectively sort of like, go on. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, so I, I did a thought experiment where I was like, could I honestly do a Regency romance as a Forge in the Dark game? And I realized that I could. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if it's what they did, but I realized that um, the the heist mechanic, the the idea of heisting is very similar to our idea of getting into shenanigans behind a patron's back or getting into shenanigans behind a a parental unit's back. Um, Sure. Sure. And and having, you know, illicit love affair or passing letters or, um, you know, trying to prevent a scandal if we look at scandal as the prison system for a regency yes if you look at scandal as the prison system for a regency romance game then you you know you have the in you're in in group and it's you know your family and your reputation and then the heat you get is scandal and then once you're scandalized you you end up in this other group of people who have all also experienced scandal 
and you spend some amount of time on the outskirts until you can do something to worm your back way your way back into the good graces of somebody who will reintroduce you to society right and right. and and the playing field is high society or whatever society you know thing you're doing and I got really up in my like brain space about this because I was like, oh my God, it works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, let's, let's talk about, because I think this is a good setting informs mechanics and vice versa, right? Because like right. the basic mechanic is just from Blades in the Dark and it is about crime drama, uh, but it right. is the setting framing, the fluff, how I loathe that term, um, the flavor, I prefer that one. I like uh, flavor better. Yeah. Uh, just by changing the framing and the flavor, you take what is a mechanic for how long will you do these crimes and get arrested into how long can you be unfaithful to your spouse uh, before, before you, you risking get scarlet lettered, right? Yeah, before yeah. you're risking scandal, right? So like, and and the changes to the mechanic may have nothing to do with how those dice work or the numbers work, but it may have to do mm -hmm. with the with the questions you ask, the way it's framed, yes. and the uh, narrative situations in which it applies. Uh, and if you think like, that those things are not mechanics, you're wrong. Yes. <laughs> that is correct. Cool. Uh, we, we had that moment of like, yeah, we agree. And then it was just yes. silent for a second. Just, let's just contemplate on how perfect the statement is. Mm, yes. All right. Good talk. Episode good talk. Over. All right. Deep dive over. <laughs> Pack up. Go home. Yeah. I. And not only is that true, but it is. Certain things are mechanics. Are rules that people don't realize are rules. Framing mm -hmm. devices are rules. They um, sure are how you engage with the game is a rule you know i think about it like board games and people expect certain uh implicit rules in board games where everything is written down on the card or on the board or in the rule book and you know most things will tell you if it's on the card it's going to supersede the rule the base rule right mm -hmm. and I've run into several games that include rules in them that are completely social. Right. And every time this comes up, uh, my husband, he hates them. Uh, he hates rules that uh, make you act in a way that have nothing to do with the game. Like I love what? them. How do, you, how, do you, how do you mean by have nothing to do with the game? Let's start there. Say we're playing a card game. That has, and that card game is simply a, a trick-taking game. Okay. Right. So you know you've got you know we'll use Bonanza if you don't if you're if anybody's familiar with this very old game in which you're bean farmers, and you're you know <laughs> picking up beans and planting beans in fields and then trying to get like sets of beans this is a trick-taking game. So if you're playing this bean game this trick-taking game and one of the beans says like okay if you plant this in your field you're not allowed to cough anymore and if you <laughs> cough somebody can point you point to you and say oh you coughed and take one of your beans <laughs> 
And then once this thing is no longer in your field, you, you don't have this rule stipulation on you. And coughing has literally nothing to do with the game, but right. it is now incorporated into the game as a new rule and a mechanic. And sometimes it will be, you know, laughing or speaking at all or, you know, can't say the word potato or something like that, right? Where a card will right. give you a personal mandate that has nothing to do with the game, but will incorporate that into the game's mechanics. And I love those things. I think they're hilarious. And I think a lot of people do. I don't realize that that's a rule, even though it's right. literally, I can't speak. Well, that's mm -hmm. a rule. You're right. not ruling dice. So, so there's a trick-taking game that I saw on Shut Up and Sit Down. Um, okay. Oh, fuck, what is it called? It's called like The Dive or The Crew or something like that. And it, it is ostensibly a trick-taking game. And it is a collaborative trick-taking game about being like the crew of a submarine. And you have to do, play the tricks to like progress the story. Uh, okay. And like you, you either win together or you lose together. And then they go through this whole explanation of the trick taking and it's like theming and it's this, this, like you're this crew in this submarine that's in danger and whatever, and you have to work together. Uh, and then at the, like, after they go through the whole explanation, they're like, and there's one more thing that just makes this trick taking card game stand out above the rest. And that is that you are not allowed to talk the whole time. Which is great. Right. And then I was like, I went from being like, I don't really like trick taking games. I'm not very good at them. Um, they sort of land in the same part of my brain that just can't deal with puzzles. Uh, sure. And then I was like, oh, and you can't talk? I have to play this game immediately. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've got to work together, but you can't talk. Have you ever, ah! played, ha have you ever played Happy Salmon? Uh, I have. I've seen people play it. Okay. That's on the subject of social rules. So Happy Salmon is a very, very stupid game that plays in about 30 seconds. And I high, it's fast, it's fast, longer than that. But like it plays in a very, very yeah, short yeah. period of time. Uh, and it's super fun to play when you are half awake at a convention. Um, sure. Or stoned. <laughs> but not too stoned that you can't move around because you have to move around. Uh, and you have a hand and there's like a community pool. Uh, and in the hand of your cards, there are a whole bunch of gestures and you have to get someone to reciprocate the gesture. Uh, so you have to be like fist bump, fist bump, fist bump, fist bump, high five, high five, high five, high five, uh, and then happy salmon is you put your arm forward and the other person slaps your arm like this. <laughs> yeah, uh, and so like, so you have to try to get and when when you get someone to reciprocate the gesture because they also have the card, both of you get to throw it, discard it, and you want to empty your hand. Right, right? And, right, and the first person to empty their hand wins. Uh, right, which and. So, like, you can play it and speak and be like, high five, high five, high five, high five, happy salmon, happy salmon, happy salmon going once. But the better way to play it is to not speak at all. And so you have to make eye contact with people and then be like, <laughs> like I just gestured well, my hand gesture at you. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. I just made the, like, happy salmon fish gesture furiously at the camera. Yeah, <laughs> that. And you have to catch, someone, <laughs> catch someone's attention and get them to come over and be like... <laughs> and then you can discard your card. Uh, and like, it's a stupid party game. Uh, yes. But, and like, the, the core loop is that like, you have to discard your cards by getting people to return the gesture. And then when you play it with, when you're not allowed to talk, you add this other social rule that like, you have to use body language and like eye contact and like, some yeah. sort of physical communication to get people to do what you want. And it is very, very fun to play slightly altered 
(laughs) (laughs) Yes, I do remember this game uh, at PAX Unplugged back in the before times when we could go to conventions. Conventions, Yeah. I played it for the first time at a KatsuCon, which is a big Uh cosplay con. Yeah. Uh, And I played it on a Sunday morning (laughs) after a cosplay con. So oh everybody God. was like dead on their feet, and Julia delirious, was like delirious, just... just just exhausted and delirious, dehydrated, half awake. And Julia's like, "Let's play Happy Salmon," and we were all like, "No," and she was like, eh, "Let's play Happy Salmon," and we were like, "How do you have energy?" And she was like, "Let's play Happy Salmon." So we played fucking Happy Salmon, and, and then everybody was in a better mood after. Of course, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it... and. And you know, I think I think we find ourselves in in a weird liminal space with tabletop role playing games because we don't have as strong a structure for those games as we do for board games. Right. Right. And we don't have as strong a focus for them as we do for board games. There is no you know, beginning middle end. There are some tabletop games that have beginning middle end. Um mm-hmm. and those games are very focused and very small. But most of them want you to play multiple sessions. They want you to, you know, create a character that you embody and then you, you know, fall in love with and keep playing over and over and over again. And then you make that character in every game you play and then everybody hates you. Um, Oh, I'm sorry. What? What was I talking about? (laughs) But we, we find that that's harder to establish the the unspoken rules of engagement and we have to write in these rules of engagement these rules that don't feel like mechanics right but absolutely are there was something we were talking about that started this weird tangent and i don't remember what it was because i don't know that we answered the question i asked (laughs) i don't I don't know anymore, but um, I'm going to tangent continue and All right, whatever. say that's what that people are this, here for. <laughs> that so it reminds me of a conversation I had with um, Mark Diaz Truman whenever Bluebeard's Bride was first being kickstarted, and I was having a conversation with him about Bluebeard's Bride. He didn't write it, but you know he's with Magpie. He you know helped edit it. They all they all work on all the projects over there, and he was telling me about one of the moves that you can take in Bluebeard's Bride and one and it's it's essentially a shutter move oh, that yeah. the I love this move the the the, the gravekeeper is a great groundskeeper groundskeeper yeah. yeah the groundskeeper makes this move if they have described a scene and we see one of the players react visibly to what they've described mm-hmm. And that visible reaction could be recoiling in horror or, you know, making a face or, you know, essentially, aha, I have hit on a nerve. I have described something so grotesque that you, the player, are reacting to it. And now I get to make this move because I freaked you out. And it's 100% like... I, I'm just trying to creep you out so much that I can do this thing. Yeah. And it has nothing. I mean, it has something to do with the game, but it is all about the player's reaction. It has nothing to do with the character right. themselves. And I love that rule. Um, of course, I, I was like, ah, you've made a LARP. <laughs> this, is, this is what LARPing so, is. 
It was really interesting because I got to play Bluebeard's Bride on The Story Told, uh, which that AP is out and you should go listen to it. It's fantastically edited. It's really spooky. Um, and I am uh, occasionally a much needed comic relief. Uh, <laughs> do enjoy me breaking tension at exactly the right times. Um, and I was playing the witch, so that felt like the right personality to be, to be the person who's like, mm, 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 nope, no. Mm. <laughs> nope. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so when we played that, we had a little discussion at the beginning about that move. Uh, and our groundskeeper, uh, was asked us to volunteer when we were shivering with fear. Because um, we mm -hmm. were playing online, so there wasn't, like, it, that seems like a sort of thing that's pretty, that's easier if you're face-to-face -face and you can see people's reactions. Um, but that also requires Absolutely. everyone to kind of be on the whole time. And it's a game that can run for, like, four hours or more, mm -hmm. um, depending. And, like, at some point you're going to get tired, and even if you're spooked, it might not show on your face. Uh, also, some right. people are not very emotive. Um, right. And some people have a reflexive need to hide that reaction yep. right like uh, when we talked about that a little bit in fact there was one person who was like i don't do that i just like i'm not gonna emote right like i might be scared but i'm not gonna show you right uh so we we changed it to be like a buzz in thing and volunteer when we were scared yes uh, which i think That's is very a good, good. Way to, a good adjustment for that rule especially for an online environment um absolutely and so we, the, the, the point of the move uh, remained, which is that whenever you shiver with fear, the GM takes, you, you, is like, in the regular rule, the GM goes, I saw you cringe. What made you cringe? And then you say like, oh, I just hate content warning. I'm going to say something kind of graphic. I just hate like fingernails being removed or whatever. And then the GM is supposed to make that worse. Whatever you just said, <laughs> they're supposed to make it worse. And that's, uh, that is the move. So we just kept that part. You volunteer mm -hmm. the thing you think is going to be bad. And then the GM still gets to make it worse. And I think right. adjusting rules for medium is also an important thing to consider, especially if you're altering yeah. a gameplay loop or you're altering a mechanic, right? Uh, yeah. Because that's, mechanics also inform the method of play. Uh, this Discord has ghosts in it cannot be played in person. No. I mean, I've thought about how I would do it, but it would involve still using a computer, but like altering the game and it would sort of become like a two room game, like two rooms and a boom. Um, yeah. Or almost LARP like. Mm -hmm. uh, and you could you could do something kind of cool uh, with one a bunch of people being on their phones and then someone being like, the one computer being with the investigators and you could even give them like literal walkie talkies that you buy at Walmart oh. or something. That would yeah, be really fun. Yeah, but at that point, yeah, that at right. the point you've got, you've made a LARP. No, you've which just made cool. a LARP, right. Yeah, which well, is like, cool, the, but... This Discord has ghosts and it is basically a LARP that you play on Discord. Yeah, which is yeah. great. And, <laughs> yeah. and I think, you know, when we think about, you know, that we can learn a lot about rules that don't feel like rules and mechanics that are more of a information of how you engage with the game and less, and less random chance rolling or, you know, the describing a power or describing how you engage with the setting. Right. Uh, so much as how you engage with the game itself. And we can learn a lot of that from LARP, actually. I, there is such an interesting thing to look at with like 
Because LARPs consider the medium, right? I mean, like, all games do. Yeah. All games do. Uh, but, like, the LARP mechanics are considering the medium that you're going to have 12 or more people. I started there because that's kind of a small LARP, but I don't sure. really yeah. know how big LARPs tend to get because that's not really my hobby. Um, sure. But it has to consider that you have a large group of people and it has to be something you can manage, like, without dice or a character. Yep. A, a, like, complex character sheet. Because I know LARP characters have a sheet of some kind sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes. You know, right. I mean, and, and you'd be surprised at how complex the sheets can be. Um, oh, fair enough. You know, I we, think I would be. True. Yeah, we, we LARPed Requiem with full fucking Requiem character sheets. <laughs> Like for yeah, years I, and years. I would, I would love to say that doesn't surprise me, but it actually kind of does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, a lot of other games will simplify sheets down a little bit from that. Mm -hmm. um, and some LARPs don't even have sheets and some LARPs do. And, you know, it, it really depends on on the medium, right? Are you Are you solving... Uh, your problem, you know, are you solving the, the conflicts, whatever, you know, the, the question, do I succeed in doing this thing? Is that a question? Because some LARPs are just like, if you can do the thing, you do the thing. Right. And some are, if, if you want to do the thing, you must test it somehow to find out how you did it. Rock, paper, scissors, roll a die, sometimes draw a card, um, spend a resource, something right um and it, it really just depends on you know the look and feel and so again that's you know just like all other mechanics but larps take a lot of care in talking about social mechanics and how to handle things that we don't often think about in tabletops but i think matter in tabletops more so than people realize which are things oh, yeah. like like bleed mm -hmm. bleed is a larp term but i'm sure you've heard of it oh yeah um, i've heard of it i've uh, heard of it know, as in in the like indie story game space really yeah and uh, i mean it comes from you know larping terms of you know when you get an emotion that your character should be feeling but you're definitely feeling that emotion right um, uh, and you can bleed both ways. What is a what is a story game if not just an itty bitty LARP? <laughs> I, I mean, to be fair, it is. And I mean, maybe there are some story games out there that will get really mad that you said that. I don't There's know. Someone, but... some, I've made someone furious with me <laughs> some, by saying that. That's okay. Just... That that person probably already didn't like me. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> um, and you know, just as just as you know tabletop games can go all the way from traditional to all the way to you know story game uh larps can as well uh you know yeah. you have very rules intense larps and very you know the only rules are the social mechanics that define how you engage with each other yeah those are but rules. they are but they are still <laughs> rules exactly yep. yeah so i there's it's just really interesting to me because like you have LARP, you have very traditional role-playing games, you have sort of non-traditional role-playing games. I'm I'm not going to separate, like, story games out from other smaller focus games or from, like, story-focused OSR and all that. I'm going to just call them non-traditional role-playing yeah. games. Uh, and then you have board and card games and, and war games. And all yes. of these are slightly related to each other. 
slightly related yet distinct enough to where <laughs> I wouldn't I wouldn't set down my Malifaux army and be like, who wants to play a board game? <laughs> yeah, uh, like I'm going to play the Malifaux board game, <laughs> right? <laughs> there is one of those. Uh, there is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it's not a board game. It is a skirmish level war game. Yeah. Uh, which is like different from like uh, Ninth Age, which is a fan-made classic Warhammer knockoff. I don't right. want to call it a knockoff. A lot of people worked very hard to make that game, but it is a fan-made game that's based on old Warhammer. Sure. Uh, and, right. And I, I think, you know, they all have, I think they all, well, one, they all share a similar DNA. Right. Uh, and because, and what they all share actually isn't a similar DNA. They all share a similar R mRNA, right? Like the, uh, the things that you you don't want to learn about you know mitochondria mitochondrial dna <clears throat> is is where all the where all the ancestral dna is stored so they all the have the same maternal haplogroup yeah they they <laughs> they all share this uh this mitochondrial dna of historical reenactment Actment, yes like, and um <laughs> and like classic historical reenactment and also, like, classic historical wargaming. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah, the classical historical wargaming. Because, and, and historical reenactment, those, the, the intersection of those two things birth literally every type of game that we play. Right. Yeah, and, like, I think the thing I was sort of setting up when I sort of, when I was like, here's all these things that are vaguely related to one another. And I think... To be good at any of the design of those things, you need to be exposed to all of them in some capacity. In some capacity, I agree. And, you know, the more exposure you get to any of them, um, mm -hmm. you know, if you're a tabletop game designer and you've only ever played tabletop games and you've only ever played one tabletop game and you go to design a tabletop game, your tabletop game is going to look a lot like the, the game you've played. Yes, it is. Because you don't have any other resources to draw from. It that's not a dig, it's just the truth. Yep. It doesn't mean that the game you make won't be cool and fun. It's just you're not gonna be exposed to other things. And you may wind up finding yourself reinventing a wheel that somebody else has already turned into a Mercedes Benz. <laughs> and and you're like, look at this wagon I made, and they're like, ha, Ferrari. <laughs> you're just like, and everybody's like oh your wagon's kind of cute but you, why aren't you you know there's this ferrari that's freely available come on now uh and you know i i it i find i see sometimes you know i'll see a, a game that's designed a thing that or somebody's asking on a design group and they are literally reinventing a wheel that already exists somewhere and instead of telling them that they're wrong, I'll be like, hey, you know, maybe you should check out this thing that's doing something similar to what you want to do. Yeah. I don't want to tell you that the thing you want to do is already done somewhere else because it might not be done exactly the way you're trying to think of it. Yeah. But it's clear you haven't been exposed to, you know, vampire disciplines or whatever, <laughs> right? Like, right. or or... You fate know, aspects when, fate aspects when you're uh, trying there's, to there's, yeah i i uh, you know pour one out for going to metatopia but like oh, invariably i would wind up in a dice pool heartbreaker oh like yes this, with rob donahue 
Of course. It was like a yearly, it was like a yearly thing. (laughs) And I always sort of felt bad for the poor newbie designer who had to present a partially finished version of their game to me and Rob Donahue. (laughs) 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 And it's not because, it's not because either of us are mean people. In fact, we're really quite the opposite. We're very kind and sweet people and like extremely supportive and helpful. Yes, uh, Rob, Rob is a very kind person, and I, yes. I, I love like I would be honored and a pleasure to have him in any playtest I ever do because of that. But also, yeah, <laughs> I feel bad for those people. People, yeah, uh, and and ultimately, what happens is that the two of us assign that person homework. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I. I just like I'm. I have a dice pool sense. I just I know when your math's bad. I'm sorry. I can't really explain it to you in math terms because I don't. I'm not a statistician. Um, mm-hmm. And it's very funny occasionally in like conversations with Terry. I'll be like, that math is off. I don't know why. I just tell you that's fucked, and you're not going to be able to figure out the pattern of success. And then Terry will tell me the actual math, and I was like, I was right, right? And he was like, Yeah, more or less. <laughs> I was like, see. <laughs> My Matthew sense is tingling. Yeah. I listen, I, I can't tell you how or why. I just know. Uh, it's the gift that the angels have given me. I I have this gift as well, but I also know how and why. <laughs> Even if I can't always explain it. Yeah, I mean, ultimately I could probably point you back to it, but I can't I I'm not the person who does the math in my head and I'm like, oh yes, you see this statistic means XYZ. Um, I just am like, mm, no, those two things are going to be a problem. And the th- you've set yourself up to a point where like, you literally can't determine the success rate because you've made your, uh, your dice pool too volatile. That was actually something that happened in a play test where I was like, so what's the average success number? And he couldn't tell me. And I was like, that's a problem, bro. <laughs> did, have I ever talked about how many times I... I kind of did that to Neil when he was working on the original story path. Should, should this be in the episode? I don't know. <laughs> uh, you can tell me. Sure. Margaret, cut this part. Uh, well, it's not bad. And it's okay. not it's not anything that needs to be cut, really. Uh, okay. Essentially, right. Margaret, would, don't cut this part. Yeah. It, essentially, he, you know, we would, we would be talking like, okay, we're going to do this thing, like momentum. And this is the best example is momentum. Mm-hmm. And Neil would be like, okay, we're going to get momentum when people fail on the dice. And I right. was like, okay. Yep. Uh, your math doesn't support them ever getting momentum. <laughs> or in a, in a, they need other ways to get it. And he's like, mm-hmm. no, no, you know, this, 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 this. And I'm like, I don't, it, it's not, you, you need other ways to generate momentum. And he's like, oh, you know, it'll be fine. And then he did some play tests and then he came back and he's like, yeah, I need other ways to, <laughs> to generate, generate momentum. momentum. And I was like, you sure do. And he's like, I should have listened to you. And I was like, you sure should have. <laughs> and, and there are still some things that I think, you know, the difficulty math in, in Scion and especially is, is too high. The difficulties mm-hmm. are too high. People can't. One of the things that it, it, the story path system wants people to be able to do is have um, have a lot, like succeed more often than they don't. Right. Um, the whole point of complications, which was really like nebulous and unfulfilled, was to give that kind of feeling of 
uh, partial success. Mm-hmm. And instead, uh, if you tack a complication onto an already difficult role, you're just going to have failed roles. Yep. <laughs> and and so that's you know that's what we experience right now in Scion is you either succeed a role or you fail a role. There's not a lot of room to include complications in what people are doing because mm-hmm. the math doesn't support the level of complication the level of difficulty and the the dice math right you want low dice pools uh you don't have a lot of ways to increase those dice pools very high i.e momentum doesn't add three dice it only adds one <laughs> um you can only really add at most three enhancement mm-hmm. so a basic pool is m- mostly ever going to benefit from one or two enhancement it's going to get one or two successes. Uh, your, your, if your average difficulty is three or higher, you have a less than 50% chance of ever succeeding. Right. And really the story path system and the desire that the game has pushed forward is that you're succeeding more than 50% of the time. And you're ha- and the, tr- the, the main point of the choice is do I succeed fully or do I succeed with consequences? Mm-hmm. And the the complication system doesn't really get used very much because there's no room for it in the difficulties. Yep. <laughs> I mean, you, and don't, you don't really I, have to explain that to me. No, I don't have to. No, I'm not explaining it to you. <laughs> to I'm explaining you, know, it to yeah, the, the BXP yeah, I, audience. I, I, know, I, know, I know. It's one of those things that you, you probably don't think about, but... That is part of the the core gameplay loop is not fulfilling the designer's intent. It is doing a thing, right? It, it, the, there is still a core gameplay loop in Scion and Trinity. It, those things are still happening, but they're not necessarily fulfilling the de- designer's intent because of that math thing, right? Right. This unintended math problem that didn't get solved correctly the first time. Yeah, I... I... I cannot speak highly enough of target number seven tens explode. Good yeah. old Exalted's dice math. I love Exalted's dice math so much. And that that might be a, a product of, you know, that being the first game I ever played. Uh, and It feels good. It feels really good. Um, and, but the thing of, okay, so like the thing that you have to understand is that that tunes the dice very heavily towards succeeding yes yes uh, like the dice are so tuned towards success at that rate that it doesn't really feel cheap like your successes don't feel unearned no nope. um it's not like we were like roll free or higher fuck off uh, <laughs> right like uh it's not so high that it doesn't feel cheap but like it's so tuned towards success that you almost don't ever think about what happens when you fail at Exalted. Uh, I have talked about it in other on other BXP episodes about it being a game about the consequences of success, not the consequences mm-hmm. of failure. Right. And StoryPath is trying to emulate that to a certain degree and codify those consequences of success. Use different dice math. But it's not right. Well, I know we're not allowed or whatever. I don't know. It's not well, what people want. Well, I will make a case against the the seven to start with, uh, target number seven to start with. Okay. In story path specifically, because of enhancement. Fair enough. I mean, because go on because go on, you are right because you are adding auto successes 
mm-hmm. um, automatically, you know, and and I would make that range broader if it were up to me. If it were up to me, I would make that range a little broader up to, you know, the cap the enhancement at five instead of three. Um, decrease your base difficulties uh, down to like one and then make everything based around either I'm buying more stunts or I'm buying off complications. Right. And now you have, yes, it's a target number eight. And on three dice, I'm still probably going to get one success. But if I have enough enhancement, then I, I still have tons of options. And I'm not 100% skewed towards always succeeding. But the enhancement really, as long as I roll at least one die that shows a success... I've got a lot of successes, which also feels good. It's just in a different way. Yeah, it, it is a yes. It's just it's a different feeling. Um, yeah, and like we've been playing all variety, like every iteration of Essence, pretty much so far from right. its conception to the version that is currently being edited um, with my home group, mm-hmm. uh, and that also throws around a not tiny amount of automatic successes, but it caps them at five um, with a few exceptions where that feels cool. So it's not exactly like that doesn't, that other system doesn't also throw around automatic success. Um, Yeah. And, and I will say that there is a point at which adding dice is excessive. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there's a reason that your dice cap is like 20. Yes. Well, in essence, anyway, uh, third edi- third edition does not have such a restraint. Um, it does have a limit, but it is not as strict. Um, and we were the the design space in essence was trying to keep dice pools around twenty most of right. the time. Does it go higher than that? Yes. Um, that's just infrequent uh, because because there's a point at which you're rolling so many dice that it doesn't matter. <laughs> and it becomes literally a practical issue. Like, I have I have big old paws. I have very large hands. Uh, <laughs> and I can hold, a, like, like 30 dice in both of them, but most people can't. <laughs> and, and then you have the, like, all right, hang on. I, I threw them in the, in the dice tray. Hold on. One, two, three, more. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, like I said, it is... Oh, I bumped that one. Six. <laughs> right. <laughs> I I think that it's definitely, you know, it's a different experience. It's a different feeling. And and I, you know, like you say, the exalted experience is one where, you know, you, you grab a big handful of dice, you roll them, you feel great about it. Mm-hmm. But that's not 100% what we were going for for Story Path. And so therefore, you know, having different dice math to achieve a similar... It almost similar end result, but mm-hmm. with um, one more controlled dice pulls and more controlled cap of successes, it does elicit a different feeling. But that's okay. Yeah, right. And I, my spicy take is that we probably should incorporate at least a little bit of dice adding into any new version of Story Path. That I think avoiding adding and subtracting dice was probably a bad call in the long run, but maybe I'm also biased because I like adding and removing dice. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard to say if, cause I mean, that does mess with your math, right? Yeah, and it does. 
and how much of your math are you willing to mess with? I mean, there's some things to be said for locking down your math into really small ranges. Yeah, I, I think there's a benefit to doing that for your designers and your players because it's pretty fucking clear where things are supposed to be. Right. Um, but I also think there should be an acceptable range in which you expand that slightly. Yeah. Uh, and that that's that's literally the dice limit from Essence, which is like, hey, we have sure. this basic thing where we're keeping these dice pools relatively small, and then you can add 10, 10 dice or five successes. And, or and. It's not and. It's not an or. You can do both. Um, and like, so here's here's the basic function, and then here is its limit. Here's how far you, here's how far we're willing to push it, right? Right. Um, and like, I think that's some of the problem with why I find D and D fifth edition so boring. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, which like, I'm, I'm someone's gonna hear that and be like, I ran that for you and you didn't like it. And that's not true. I had fun in your game if you ran it for me. <laughs> I, I definitely had fun in your game. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Whoever you are, I had fun. I promise. <laughs> I'm not calling anyone out by name. Yeah. Um, I have played fifth edition with several people who I know listen to the podcast. And if you ran it for me, if you're one of those people who ran it for me, I absolutely had fun in your game. Um, however, I'm talking about it boring as a system to play with as a designer, not as a participant. Right. Um, because it's math is good. It's clean. It's tight. It's it is. pretty clearly... Uh, there's a very defined space in which you can play. Uh, and that is both good and dull. <laughs> yes. I, I like having a lot of levers in a system to play with. And I like having, um, I, I think our tangents have gone so far beyond a core gameplay loop. We sure, and... we, we got into the weeds. <laughs> <laughs> but I I like, you know, it's one of the things I like about StoryPath. It's also one of the things I like about PBTA. And I know that that's one of those games that gets uh, systems that gets like really over, over uh, suggested where somebody's like, I want to make a game. And they're like, oh, that sounds like a PBTA game, even when it's like clearly not. Yeah. Um, and making good PBTA is way harder than it's anybody It's way hard. Yeah. Because making moves... Which I think is making moves is really fun, um, but it is a art form. It is not. You can't just make a move. Like you gotta like, you gotta make sure you know why this move is happening. You've gotta, you know, it's gotta be kind of. It's gotta have a point. It, you know, like right. Uh, and and it needs to be dramatic. You don't give people moves to do a thing that they should just be able to do. Right, it should be because the story element is asking for a move, um, and and so designing moves and and that I think is like a really fun space to play in. Yeah, but it's difficult. It's I not something that I've played with a whole lot, and when I have tried to do it, I'm like, oh my goodness, this is. <laughs> I respect everyone who has made a good PBTA game because they're it's not easy to do. It's just really not all right well we're uh coming up on 20 minutes from two hours on this discussion um and i know we could fill up the space even more Uh, and like i don't know that we answered any of the questions that people wanted us to dive on but i think some of the stuff that we tangented on were other things people had asked us i think maybe yeah maybe kind of 
Uh, fuck was there anything else you wanted to say or you wanted to discuss in our last like 20 minutes because we, we'll go out to two hours and then i'll just throw this cut in or... yeah i like to think that your setting informs your mechanics not the other way around um yes. so yeah. you you decide what you want to do you decide mm-hmm. what the genre is going to be you decide what you want people to do in your game and then you write mechanics to support those things and the setting the the trappings all of that matters and you should really have some of that in mind before you start designing mechanics for it um not to say that you can't be like ah this is a dice probability oh yeah i mean like anybody could come up with a dice probability and have it work for another game Mm -hmm. um otherwise like those generic systems like genesis or gurps gurps or (laughs) yeah whatever wouldn't work right and they do yeah and they do work because you just need some dice probabilities. But there are some games that just don't work with those systems because the loop isn't what you need. Um, But that doesn't mean the setting can't work with that system, so you just need a different loop. But going back to if I were to make a a brand new game from Mm -hmm. scratch, I would first think to myself, what's the game about? What are we doing? Before Mm -hmm. I ever thought about a die. So here's what I'm going to say is that I really think that when you have mechanics and forming setting. It mm-hmm. is actually because you are working backwards. Yes. Uh, your example of the Regency, uh, the Blades in the Dark, Forge in the Dark Regency game. Yeah. I'm actually saying is mechanics and forming setting because someone went, the said the same thing that you did where you went, oh, the heist, like the heat rules map back to Scandal. Yep. And this maps backwards this way. And yep. I think when you have your mechanics and form your setting, you're looking at something like, I don't know, Essence's combat loop, where you build up power, you make a strong attack and whatever, and you go, that's a fighting game. What if I took that and then made Guilty Gear the RPG? Right. Right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think you could take a a dice mechanic or, a, or any set of mechanics mm-hmm. and look at it and go, is there an interesting setting I could apply that this would work well with? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think people get frustrated on Twitter, which is not a great place for conversation or nuance, when no. they see someone who has looked at something and gone, and that something is almost always D&D, of almost course. always, uh, and gone, oh, I have derived a setting from these mechanics that everyone else looks at and goes, that's why, how did you get here? Yeah, which is, I... is it's fi- actually honestly it's fine to do that it does annoy me as like a d- person who does this but on the other hand like if you're just doing that for fun at home i don't care i, don't I, care. I genuinely don't care hell even if you throw it up on itch.io and are selling it i don't care i, I don't care i really don't yeah care. like great wonderful perfect i'm so happy for you yeah i, I like... love this for you and your life <laughs> it does often baffle me sometimes where i am like how did you start here with the D&D and then read um, melodrama at a at a costume ball out of it. Like, right. how, how, did that, how, did that, how did those mechanics inform your setting? Right. They didn't, though. Yes. <laughs> right. And that's and that's the, the difference. And I think that that's, you know, where you say, like, if you're hacking a game into another setting, that is that is where your 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 mechanics, the thing that you're seeing. OK, here's the mechanics. What? How can I do, how can I map my setting to this? What would, what would this game look like? Yeah. Right. 
um, and and filling those circles in. But if I don't have a mechanic yet, and I have, but I have an idea for a game, a Regency romance game, right? right. And I think, what would the mechanic be for the Regency romance game? Now, right. I quickly went to Forged in the Dark because I was like, oh man, these things map really well. But I might also go to PBTA just yeah. as easily. You're I'd making like the moves, you're, you know, you have conditions like uh, the Regency Romance PBTA is a done deal. I can already make that game in my sleep. Sure. Like, I I don't know them as well, but like the first couple things that came to my mind were like um BOB. Oh, and yeah. um fuck, what's the other one? Oh, I hate the holes in my memory that stress has caused. Um <laughs> uh, same. Uh um Firebrands, that's it. Oh, yeah, yeah, which, yeah. Which are, like, very specific conversation-driving mechanics where you have, like, strong right. moves, weak moves, right. I can do these things, and, like, so you have the idea of, like, the conflict in the Regency era that is pretty much all social negotiation reflected right. in exactly. rules that are all basically social negotiation. Yeah, I mean... Uh, and Regency all of these games will work. Yeah, all of them. So it's really just then which one do you want to pull in? Which one do you want to map your game to? Right. Um, I mean, I could even, you know, I'm, I've applied to go to a Regency Romance LARP. Mm -hmm. um, th that is going to be happening next year. And I can imagine that being a fantastic game in which you just literally, there are no, there are no, nothing but social mechanics. Right. Right. There's nothing but the scandal and how you interact with each other because that's all it is right it's a play so yes i think your your mechanics can inform what you're doing in your game uh, and the setting of your game in a way that a lot of people i think don't think about especially when they're hacking a game system mm -hmm. um and that's really oh we could do a deep d dive on hacking yeah let's do that next that'll be next oh. time That'll be next time. And this, you, I'll leave, I'll leave you with this in that okay. when you hack a system um, to a setting, this is where the, I, my, my mechanics need to inform my setting. Mm -hmm. Like yeah. y you need to make sure that your mechanics aren't uh, quote unquote getting in the way of the setting <laughs> you're trying to hack this game into. Right. Yeah. Uh that's that's what I was saying about people being frustrated with folks on Twitter for doing that with with D and D, right? Um, and and that is something that I do find frustrating, but also a little unfair. Sure, yeah, like you're allowed to do whatever you want, but again, I feel like there's a an easier way to be doing what you're trying to do. Yeah, and I, I, I like I said earlier, I think there's just some degree of people looking at that and being just confused as to like mm -hmm. how did you how how did this inform this mechanic inform your setting and you like you said the answer is it didn't it didn't yeah <laughs> uh and but to on a more positive note there's also nothing wrong with playing will it blend when you're trying to make something <laughs> uh like this regency romance we're talking about like you could start with a forge in the dark system because i particularly like dice i like having a dice pool i like the the skills i like the i like stress said no one ever um and then, <laughs> uh and then you are like cool i also want tokens from bob and i want 
uh, hard moves from firebrands and I want like yep I want these elements to also be present because I still want that aspect of social negotiation to be important to this game even if we are also rolling dice and there is nothing wrong with putting all of that on high setting and finding out what comes out yep <laughs> fantastic actually yes in fact now I a want good to exercise. make a game yeah like I, I want, like, oh man, like, I, I have so much work I need to do, but I'm also like, I want to make a game. Uh. <laughs> I, very recently, I allowed myself to return to being a fan of something. Uh, like, I love, I love working on Exalta, truly. Sure. Really and truly, but like, the Essence Kickstarter and then having to deal with, ev- with 4,000 people finding every single tiny mistake, like, is a mood killer (laughs) it is very hard to continue to have enjoyment of something when it has been scrutinized by thousands of people um which doesn't make me like the game any less i'm still absolutely having a ball with my local group and just watching them have so much fun with this thing we made and that there's some nothing more rewarding than that sure Uh, but on the other hand i just got really back into malifaux a game that i just like because it's a game i'm a fan of uh, and I don't have to write for it, and I can write stupid fan fiction and draw art of my favorite characters and talk to my friends about it and just like enjoy it as a game that I like and that like fixed some part of my brain. <laughs> I, I have, you know, I've never engaged with fandom that way. Like, I've you, never written fan fiction or drawn fan art of a thing or. I, I just don't engage with fandom that way. And so it's weird to me. Not weird. I, I totally, right. tons of people do it. And uh-huh. I understand. I feel like I am the weird one that I, I don't yeah. engage that way when I really enjoy a thing. Yeah. I mean, you don't, I, there's no right way to I know enjoy something. I, ju- I just was saying for me that like, sure. I felt like I could finish the stuff that I had overdue because I spent time do- blowing off steam, you know, well, drawing right. a million pictures of a character I like. Right, right but like... you saying that made me feel like, oh man, I wish I could do that. <laughs> <laughs> Give it a try? Maybe. I mean, I did do some yeah, art you don't You don't have that to was... share it with anyone. Like, that's yeah, the other I'm... thing. I think people feel like you have to, like, put it on AO3. And no, you fucking don't. You just have to write it to get it out of your stupid brain. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I did some art recently... Um, for a project that I was, you know, for a friend. But mm-hmm. otherwise, like, I think just doing that, like, really felt nice. Yeah, it does really feel nice. Mm-hmm. I think a, I may do some more of it. Do you have an iPad or something like it? Because uh, I, no. I, I can't recommend playing on an iPad with Procreate enough. No, I don't have that thing. But I um, I do have these pa- new pastels that I bought to do my art project. And so I may just play just with keep them playing some with more. Them. Yep. Yeah. You know what? H is not a big fan content person either. Mm-hmm. Uh, unless it's like writing stuff for games. Sure. Uh, or uh, talking to me about silly fan theories. <laughs> sure. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm totally the person who is like, wouldn't it be funny if these two characters did this thing? And then we talk about it for like a minute. And I guess that's sort of like writing fan fiction out loud. But you're 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 really not alone there, and that had nothing to do with the rest of the fucking topic. <laughs> <laughs> Great, um, fantastic, good talk. Good talk. <laughs>
Uh, just a reminder for all, everyone, the bonus experience is on Patreon. We are in the off-season right now, but hey, if you want to join us, we would love to have you. Uh, we do fun stuff on the Discord. Uh, most of it, the, the Discord is, is open. Anybody can join. There's a special room for patrons where you get to hang out with Ray and I directly. And we give you fun roles if you give us money. That's that's the Discord reward. <laughs> uh, also, when we do things that have a limited number of participants, like this Discord has ghosts in it, we give first, first come, first serve seating to our patrons. Um, occasionally, we also do live shows just for our patrons. Um, but that's honestly kind of few and far between. Give us a dollar. It would make us all very happy. Uh, also, BXP is sponsored by Nerdy Kepi. Uh, you can get all kinds of quality queerware on there and unique BXP swag. Uh, that is N-E-R-D-Y-K-E-P-P-I-E dot com. Use code BXPCAST at checkout for 10% off. And as always, Bonus Experience is a member of the Misdirected Mark Network. Ray is not here to go bing. Bing! Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> MMP has a ton of really awesome shows. Um... I do not have the specific ad blurbs pulled up right now because this is an off-season show. But hey, definitely go to misdirectedmarknetwork.com. I think. I'm pretty sure it's .com. Look up the Misdirected Mark Network. There's a whole bunch of great shows. The like the flagship show is a bunch of people talking about game design. Then they live stream every Tuesday. Uh, Pandas Talking Games has the same sort of goofy two-person energy as BXP. Uh, Gnome Stew is another design show so if you like BXP's rambling design there's all <laughs> kinds of other shows in the network that you will love too uh, so check that out um, I think those are all my mandatory plugs like, comment, subscribe <laughs> hit the button for notifications this isn't a YouTube show actually it no. is also on YouTube the audio is sometimes uploaded to YouTube so I guess I guess do that too sure, whatever Uh D, where can they find you on the internet if they want to follow you? Do not perceive me. All right, uh, well, don't. Yeah, it's fine. You don't have to. No, it's fine. <laughs> uh, I sometimes hang out in the BXP Discord. I also uh, can be found at daniellozon.com. Um, <clears throat> I'm also sometimes in the Onyx Path uh, Discord. Um, I'm on Twitter at Impernius, and uh, I only ever shitpost there. <laughs> so follow me if you want shit posts otherwise yeah that's that's me all right uh and if you want to follow me obviously i'm in the bonus experience discord which also has some rooms for systematic understanding of everything if you uh have just started listening to that even though it is finished um i'm also around on the onyx path discord uh, and also on the exalted fan discord um the less so post essence release uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, I shitpost, I retweet a lot of stuff. Uh, I also retweet a lot of political stuff, so just be aware of that. Uh, and I am at Zenith Sun. Follow me for more quali high quality content. <laughs> uh, if you want to continue to get more bonus experience during our on season, you can go to bxpcast.com. Uh, you can send us an email at bonusexpcast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at bonusexpcast. Uh, bonus Experience Twitter mostly just announces when we're doing stuff and then when episodes are uploaded. Uh, we don't do a whole lot of, of back and forth talk. However, if you do tag BXP in something, one of us will respond to you. <laughs> mm, yeah. We do see it. Uh, we just don't use it for like a lot of communication. Uh, and I think that's it. Uh, I guess everybody get out. Time go. to go. We did this Goodbye. for two hours. Get out of here. Go. Go. I'm leaving. Go, go take a walk. God, jeez. It's dark here. Yeah. 
Is it dark there? No. no I still got another about it's, hour it's, or so. It's fucking dark. Look. Holy crap. <laughs> yeah, no, we've got, I've got a little twilight. It, it, it's it's that like the sun is going to go down soon look. So yeah, yeah. probably nope. in an nope. hour. Nope. Nighttime here. Yeah. In an hour, <laughs> it will look like that because, yeah. you know, I'm about an hour behind You're behind. You. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Everybody get out. Let's go. Bye. Change it if you, change if you want to. Yes. <laughs>